Did you do any research, Sam? No, I haven't had time. <laughs> I wrote I wrote some questions down for Father Dave. <laughs> and you're assuming that I know the answers. <laughs> yep. <laughs> we are doing um reconciliation or confession or penance or or all three. That's right. Pick the name. Hang on, stop. What you know we should do the intro first and then talk about the stuff. Well do it then. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Sons of Thunder, the podcast where Marty and I no longer have to do any research because this Sunday's gospel was actually today's topic. So, Father Dave, we hope you've prepared your homily and you've got it ready to go. (laughs) He has! (laughs) (laughs) I was so excited at Sunday Mass when they started reading the gospel. I should have been listening, but instead I'm thinking, brilliant! (laughs) You're talking about the Sunday that, that just passed as opposed yeah. to the Sunday that's about to come. The Sunday that just passed was yeah. uh, uh, Jesus encouraging them to forgive not seven times, but seven times 70. Yes. Mm. Which is... I thought, I'm sure Father Dave's got something to say. So I heard you, Father Dave, a couple of weeks back on the Jude Hennessy show, whatever that's called, The Journey or something. <laughs> yes. On Sunday night. And I was going to say, I can't actually remember what you said, but I thought it was good. But it did occur to me that I think <laughs> I think you're even better when you're interrupted. <laughs> okay. If I've got time to think about stuff, it's not as good. Really, it really it puts you <laughs> right out to your, your best. I'm just distracted by Sam. Is, is that an avocado you're eating, Sam? No, it's a passion fruit. Passion sorry. fruit. I don't yeah, have sorry. a spoon, so I'm just yeah. eating the passion fruit straight out of the fruit. The listeners are being saved from having to watch you slurp that down. I'm hungry. Yeah. <laughs> it's all right. They'll be able to hear it. Yeah, if you hear sort of like sloping noises, that's Sam. So, so Sam's in a mobile um, recording studio at the moment. Otherwise known been, as my car. Having been caught short of driving back to home before our recording yeah. time. I knew I'd be uh, cutting it short, so I have brought my mobile internet with me. I have my laptop set up on the dashboard. I've got a four-wheel drive and it's got a big dashboard, so the... The laptop sits very pretty up on the, the dash. And then my microphone has been jammed into the steering wheel, which means I can turn it to the left and turn it to the right, and it works really well. It's a good setup. It's a nice it's sound a bit booth. wrong, that's all. <laughs> and the only other thing you need is a passion fruit, of course. Which I picked up from the Hill Street Grocer. Nice. <laughs> it's good. They don't sell spoons there. <laughs> well, they probably do. I just didn't think that through. Oh, well. Yeah. So, this week... Part two. Try not to spill passion fruit in your lap. No, I've got a plastic bag there. You can't see that though. Right. Yeah. I thought Encouraging. Part two. Confession. Yes. Reconciliation. Reconciliation. The sacrament of penance. Um, As a sacrament of penance. Yes. So uh, what do you want to talk about? Well, let's do a better intro than last week and just just run through the sacraments again. There are only seven. Because it took us about an hour to get to that last time. Yeah. So baptism, which we covered comprehensively last week reconciliation eucharist which we will cover comprehensively today okay i'm up to three because i've mentioned eucharist confirmation marriage holy orders and anointing of the sick holding seven fingers up got to the end of the list i'm confident (laughs) that looks like six and a half fingers marty that was six and a half fingers (laughs) so this is uh for most of us in primary school this is uh, a very big deal this is when most of us would have encountered the sacrament of reconciliation. Do you remember your first reconciliation? 
you remember the lead up to it? I was thinking about that the other day because we, we were just celebrating first reconciliation for our parish last week. Huge ceremony with parents all there and everything. And I, I, I think when we did it, it was just like during class time. I think they just took us down to the church, filed us through the confessional and that was it. Yeah, I think we did something similar. And then it really didn't mean that much to me. But looking back on it, it was really setting a precedence of this is how you do it for when you really need to get there. Yeah. And obviously we, we still needed to be going to reconciliation at the time to the sacrament of penance, but it was in the latter years that it started to mean something. Mm. I don't really remember that first one. Marty? I have no memory of my first reconciliation, but I do remember, must have been after that, my old man taking me to a church on a Saturday to go to reconciliation, which must have happened more than once. But I just remember dad bundling me up and maybe a, my brother or something and saying, look, it's Saturday. It's, uh, we're, going to, we're going to confession, get in the car. And you said, yeah, we'd love to. Yes. Well, I, yeah. Okay, so the there's, big question. You know, I just, there's those two. Jesus talks about the two. Which, which of the sons did the will of the father? The one who said no but actually did it or the one that, said yes and didn't do it. So I, I know that I did it because I remember being there. I can't hear <laughs> you anyway. I, I have previously heard that you say, though, that you are the third son who got someone else to do it and yeah. went and did something else. No, I think, yeah, I, I was reflecting on this in one of my periods of depression and thinking, what about, was there a third son who said no and didn't do it? And was he better than, like, the son At who least he was honest. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, is he in between the other two? Or, or yeah, anyway. Well, Jesus does say, let your yes be yes and your no be no. So if you're going to be lazy, you may as well just go all out and you know, don't, don't be half-hearted. bit easier to deal with. Yeah, so yeah. can I ask, where did the sacrament of penance originate? Obviously, the gospel on Sunday is a, a fair bit of that, but that doesn't completely encompass the sacrament of penance as we know it. So there's the, the bit where Jesus says to Peter, You're, what you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven and what you seal on earth or bind on earth will be bound in heaven. That's, that's critical, isn't it? Yeah, we would look at that as being sort of the authority that Jesus gave to the church to be able to forgive sins. It was a big discussion, well, argument point, I should say. Not, the early church didn't quite do discussion very well. They, more, more than a discussion. Yeah, they, they, <laughs> they, 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 they like fighting things out. But yeah, the early church, this was a bit of a hot point for theological debate. Basically, there were different sides where you had some people say the church is like this pure bride who should be free from all sin. And they believe that baptism was so important that there should be no second chance, really. So if you basically fell into murder or apostasy or adultery after baptism, then you basically renounced your faith and you're out. So there was a guy, Tertullian, who was kind of one of the early theologians he he was pretty strict on that stuff but then there was others who were trying to say actually no it's really all about mercy and um we should be letting people back in give them a second chance for quite a while there was only one second chance well, not it, 70 times seven yes so if you had renounced your faith during one of the great persecutions or committed murder or something you'd sort of have one chance to come back and and the the way of coming back was actually pretty extreme. Like in the same way that your preparation for baptism was extreme, like it took about three years, the penance was equally extreme, that you would have to kind of do like a public penance, which would sometimes involve like a pilgrimage. Uh, walk not to like San Diego a, to Compostela in Spain and walk back. Yes. 
yeah. from Brazil. <laughs> <laughs> Not that extreme. <laughs> so you've only done half your penance, Sam. Um, <laughs> this yeah, is so the like second you, half. You'd, you'd be asked to walk to Jerusalem, uh, which would be like a two-year journey and you'd probably die on the way. But you'd have to completely turn your life around. You if know, you die you'd... on the way, do you have to walk back? If you died on the way, would that be like a reconciliation by fire kind of but on desire well so i think in the last episode we spoke by spoke about baptism by fire and baptism, yeah. baptism by ice i think we also referred to <laughs> <laughs> so uh yeah no it depends on the the, the method of your death i suppose <laughs> hmm. yeah hmm. but yeah so in terms of how we got to the current understanding of the sacrament we've got to thank the irish for that one because after the fall of the roman empire the church in Ireland was pretty much cut off for a couple of hundred years and it sort of developed these separate traditions. And so you had these monasteries where there would basically just be monks. They wouldn't be priests. You might have a priest wandering around the country celebrating mass once a week or every few weeks for the monks. And so the monks basically followed, I think, for, I think it's in the letter to James or the letter of James where it says, confess your sins to one another. And so these monks did that. They were like, Oh, we're just going to confess our sins to one another. And they did it regularly. And so then later on, I think it was around the late 600s when the Pope called in the Irish monks to re-evangelize Europe, they brought with them this tradition of regular confession. And so the people in Europe who were still only doing it once a lifetime, they sort of saw these monks doing it regularly and they thought, why didn't we think of that? That's an awesome idea. So the next time you go to confession, just say thanks to the Irish monks. Yeah. So at what point does it become recognised as a sacrament or is that more that it's intuitive in the moment that this is an encounter with God's forgiveness and mercy, therefore it is a sacrament? As in when did the church first recognise it? Yes. I don't know. <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't know the exact date. There would have well, been... Well, chalk that one up. That's, uh, that's number two, I think, Sam. <laughs> Out of how many episodes? I'm just trying to work out what the uh, run rate is here. What the... <laughs> yeah. it's, uh, it's, a, it's a good this average. Is, this, that's okay. This is where you need to turn around, Father Dave, and just start asking us some questions. <laughs> <laughs> no, I should okay. go and check that. There's a sign up. There's a little picture up on, um, on the outside of the confessional at St. Bernadette's at Father Doug's church with a title saying the tribunal of mercy mm. and it shows you know it's sort of like a pictograph of confession it shows the like the wall the wall the window between the penitent and the and the priest and on the side of the penitent he's kneeling down and there's a crucifix on the wall behind him and on the other side of the wall is the priest hearing the confession i think he's got his hand up making absolution and there's jesus standing behind him making the same same sign, which is up there for a reason because it's a really powerful image of what's really going on. And, I mean, I think reconciliation is amazing, but you, you can go into this tribunal of mercy and accuse yourself instead of being accused by anyone else of what you've done wrong and be forgiven. Well, doesn't, um, doesn't Satan mean accuser back in Hebrew, the accuser of the brethren, and you sort of mm. wipe that out of the picture because I'll accuse myself of my sins and put them forward to the Lord's mercy and ask him to forgive me. And then once he's forgiven you, there's nothing left to be accused of. Mm. Up, in, up in North America in 
Wyoming. So actually, only a few episodes ago, we interviewed Father Fox from Wyoming, currently in Denver, Colorado. And not far from there, there was a town called Thermopolis. And I met a priest there, had a great conversation with him. And he asked a very, I think a very intuitive question of how do you cope with all the silence on the road? And I said, well, I pretty much think of everything I've ever done. And I sing songs and blah, blah, blah. And then he said, oh, do you find it helpful to think about everything you've ever done? I said, oh, never really thought about that. Um, I said, yeah, sometimes it's kind of good to reflect on things. And sometimes I said, it's pretty hard because, you know, reflect on things you've done and you regret it and you wish you hadn't done it or if you embarrassed yourself or hurt others. We had a long chat about it. At the end of it, he said to me, you know, Sam, it sounds as though you've sought forgiveness from God and you've received that forgiveness. You have sought forgiveness from others and you have received their forgiveness. He said, your problem is that you've never forgiven yourself. And I honestly had nothing to say back to him. It was a bit of a hit between the eyes. I'd never even contemplated the fact that I'd been going to confession all these years and yet had failed to actually forgive myself. And he said to me, I'll never forget it. Sam, if Jesus forgives you, who are you to hold on to the sins and not yes. forgive yourself? Do, do you place your judgment above God's? Mm. In talking about reconciliation, like I think that is the real core of it. I think a lot of people go to confession thinking that it's, you know, kind of this legalistic thing of like, I'm going to try to prove to God how sorry I am and then hope that he scrubs that off the ledger. Which, which is what I think my first reconciliation was, which is probably why we don't remember it. Yeah. But, but there is very much that encounter with grace. And I think the whole thing of grace is this mysterious thing where you've got to actually know your identity as somebody who's forgiven not just somebody who God's putting up with, you know, like it's not as though God's kind of said, oh, look, you've done it again, right? I'm going to put up with it for now and you better not do it again. But there is actually something about really genuinely encountering mercy and knowing like I I am fully broken. I am an absolute mess, but I'm loved in my mess. Like I think Mm -hmm. we often assume that God only loves us in our perfection, whereas here he is actually choosing to love us in our brokenness. And and that's Mm -hmm. where it's, such an act of humility that, that we need to accept that ourselves. Like, as you say, we've, we've got to forgive ourselves. A lot of the time that's us getting over our pride where we've actually got to accept the fact that we're actually pretty broken mm-hmm. and yet loved in that. So in terms of some nuts and bolts, when one goes to confession and one confesses one's sins that are on one's mind. What happens other if sins? two goes to confession? So two's... <laughs> The question is, other, other, other <laughs> sins that you've done that, that may not be on your mind are also forgiven. Yeah. So, so you're baptised. The image I've got is if you, you're baptised, and we even dress babies in white to symbolise, you're baptised, you're entirely clean of sin, actual and um, original and, and all of that. You might sin a bit and venial sins might be like little marks on that white robe and mortal sins turn it all black but after reconciliation it's not not exactly just these particular marks that i've identified but the the entire robe is white again as you walk out of confession Mm. yeah so when you go to confession you they, they talk about it has to be like a complete confession of everything everything that you're aware of everything that you can remember so some people will kind of say, oh, look, I'll confess to lying and 
not saying my prayers at night, but I'm a little bit ashamed about not confessing the other stuff. And so they'll leave a few things hidden away. If you do that, it's not actually confession. The, the, the whole thing is really like rebaptism in a sense. Like it's, I genuinely want to turn away from everything, not just 50% of it. Hence the need for before confession to spend some time asking the Holy Spirit to reveal to you what your sins are and what you need to confess. And to be genuinely sorry for it. Mm. Yeah, because often we, we confess stuff because we know we should, but we're going to go straight back out and do it again. So, yeah, that, that's really where it, it puts a real responsibility on us to actually really want conversion. One of the difficult ones, I think, as a priest dealing with is where, say, two people who are in a de facto relationship, you know, for whatever reason, they, they know that it's wrong. They know that they can't receive communion, but every now and then they want to receive communion. So they'll come to confession and then receive communion at mass, but they're still living in that situation, you know, so they're, they're asking forgiveness for something, but they're not actually changing their behavior. That's a really difficult one because, you know, you've got to say to them, look, really, you've got to make some serious decisions here. And it can be very hard pastorally to try and walk people through that because they're often very messy situations in the background. But I think that's the seriousness of it. It's that if I genuinely am sorry, I need to be looking at how to change my whole life around it. Uh, And obviously that's a journey. Like no one's going to be able to get it fully perfect straight away. So often you've got to walk with someone a few times through multiple confessions to lead them to that point where they're strong enough. Mm. But yeah, it's... The other bit of that is you actually get grace from confession, not talking exactly about that situation, mm-hmm. but, you know, by, by confessing and by being forgiven, as part of that is the, the Lord imparts his grace into you to strengthen you, to help you to change. So I, I would say a bit, you know, a bit chicken and egg. And by naming it, mm. it doesn't have as much control over you. Yeah. You, mm. you aren't a slave to it in the same way. You start to firstly chip away at that pride or that uh, being ashamed. And in time, the, the, the actually builds up a point where there's almost a disgust mm. for it, but not yeah. at ourselves. And so in time, by regular confession of the same sins, uh, there is that grace to, to actually combat it and not enter into it again. Mm. And, and like I say, I think yeah. that's the, the tricky nature of the sacrament because... In the, in the ideal world, you would be fully contrite and repentant of everything when you go to the sacrament. But in reality, you're taking baby steps. Mm. You're trying to just open the door just a little bit. You know? And he's, each time you go back to the sacrament, the light of Christ comes in a bit more and a bit more. And you're, you're then able mm. to make that big step. So if, you, if I was to realise something that, I used to accept as okay, but realise that that was actually wrong and sinful in in the past. Mm. Case in point, gossip. What? <laughs> are you confessing mighty sins? Or are, are you, you using the example? Sorry, sorry. When, when, when I said... <laughs> can, can I rephrase that? <laughs> Instead of case in point, can I say, as an example, a lot of people would suffer with uh, struggle okay. with, with me, gossip. Uh, let me be clear. You, sorry, you look, you look I, very realize... offended there for a second. <laughs> I didn't mean you specifically. I meant case in point, something that in wider society is, is very common. Let me let me clarify. If I realise that my gossip is bad and I've never <laughs> taken it to confession, I've realised that I've been doing it forever, but I've, but I've been taking other things to confession, should I 
retrospectively confess that? I, I think that would be wise, yes. Because, yeah, like you're, you're kind of going to a deeper level of self-knowledge. And, and once again, I suppose there, there is that fine line between confessing something which you've just seen in a whole new light. The, the one thing you always want to guard against is that kind of scrupulous thing where you're confessing something you've confessed a dozen times already. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, it, yeah, like I say, it's a bit, bit of a fine so line between the two. Scru- scrupulous. The sc- scruples were little rocks in your shoe. Oh, is that the origin of the word? That's the origin of the word. L- okay. The little rocks, like sand, you know, in your shoe that just annoys you incessantly mm. but probably doesn't stop you from walking, really. And the sin of scrupulosity being a, a lack of trust in God's mercy. Well, it's actually, it's almost like a obsessive compulsive disorder. If, if you're trying to sort of look at it in that light, like that people obsessively become focused on a particular sin. So when, we, when you say it's like a, the, the sin of scrupulosity, I think you'd probably want to sort of look at it a bit bit more softer than that and just say, well, it's actually a, a real burden that people carry. No, like I reckon we should look at it harder. <laughs> <laughs> they should go and confess their scrupulosity a thousand times over. <laughs> <laughs> oh. it, it is actually like a real burden that a lot of people carry and, and a lot of saints yeah. struggled with that Alphonsus Liguri, Ignatius Loyola did for a while yeah so I, I, I've got a lot of compassion for people who struggle with that but, but I think people who do struggle with that actually need to get some genuine help you know because mm. you just mm. get stuck in it I can remember certain times in my own life where I might have been I could be accused of that and it was there certainly was a sin or something like that that just it just felt like you're trapped mm. uh, you go to confession you feel everything's great and then all of a sudden yeah bang you better go back and it was easy to get stuck in that that merry-go-round in a way yeah and i think that's where it's wise to talk to a, a spiritual director because often there's something which is really shameful in the background and it's the shame which is trapping you mm. and until you can actually get to that point of dealing with the shame side of it you're never going to get past the sinful side of it now, how often do you have the opportunity to go to the sacrament of penance, Father Dave? Well, I'm kind of surrounded by priests, so I, I, I would have the ability to go whenever I wanted. I, we... That's not the question. <laughs> <laughs> well, as opposed to different to you, growing living yeah. in a town where there's no, there's no church or priest. Yeah. I, I would try to get about once a month, and, and we would suggest that to our guys, in, like the guys who are in training, we'd say like, that's probably like a good, healthy balance, you know? And obviously we've got things in our daily routine and our daily prayer life where we're constantly trying to be aware of our sin, doing like an examination of conscience every day. And so the very attendance at mass itself, like, like when, when you go to mass, there's a number of times in the mass where we receive God's forgiveness. So it, it really is a daily thing. The sacrament of itself is a very beautiful grace, but yeah, Personally, I'd try about once a month. So can we just talk about venial versus mortal sin? My understanding is, like the beginning of Mass and stuff, and the Our Father as well, I suppose, mm. that oh, whenever you ask the Father for forgiveness for venial sins, it happens, which is why that bit at the start of the Mass, um, why we say that. Yep. But mortal sins are a bit different and need either recon- well, need reconciliation in the absence of the possibility of reconciliation, the uh, perfect act of contrition, which mm. which is apparently hard to do because you need to be perfectly sorry. Like you need to be sorry because your sin has hurt Jesus as opposed to I'm sorry because I don't want to go to hell or something. Yeah, yeah. And 
and as well as that, you you need to go to reconciliation when you can. Yeah. And mortal sins, I mean, mortal sin means it'll kill you. Yes, spiritually. Yes. This yes. this is this is a sins that if if this is what you do, you you you're a no. You don't love Jesus. That's what it. Yeah. So the the simplest way I would try and describe it is that idea that actions speak louder than words. So mm. you might be going to church every Sunday, but you're involved in a behavior which actually says, I don't want Jesus. So even though with my words, I'm, I'm still a faithful Catholic, my actions say something very different. The way that the church would define a mortal sin would be to say it's something of grave nature that you have full knowledge and full consent So a grave sin is something particularly serious. And the church will often define what is a grave sin. So something like abortion or murder Mm. or, you know, like a a serious act of theft, you know, not not, not simply stealing a paperclip from work, but, you know, so something which is serious and premeditated and clearly going to do some serious damage to other people. You need to have full knowledge that it's actually wrong. And then also fully consent to still do it. Now, if you're being held at gunpoint or something, that yeah, that that's the point where moral theologians uh, spend all their time arguing about. You know, how, how do you actually define those two things? Because mm. you could have someone do something which is gravely sinful, but based on their upbringing, they've actually got no idea that it's wrong. Mm. So, say for example, you look at some of the communist countries, you know, during the time of the Soviet era where the abortion rate in these countries was 70 or 80 percent and it was actively promoted and you know so people growing up in a country without any sense of god or morality were actually things that were immoral were being told as being good for the whole nation so your whole sense of conscience is going to be pretty well screwed up as a result of that so you could be doing something gravely wrong but not actually know that it's wrong Mm. Or, or at least you're your sense of natural law is going to be smothered by communist propaganda. But then on that other side, you know, whether you've actually got full consent, you know, so say there's an enormous amount of family pressure um, or, you know, someone's holding a gun at your head or whatever. Mm. Mm. So I suppose that wraps up to, well, I mean, we, we probably reasonably easily identify grave, grave matter, but gr- grave matter doesn't necessarily translate to mortal sin because it's got these other yeah and i suppose the other bit of the answer is you don't from the outside you don't really know it's only it's only you personally through the illumination of yeah the holy spirit illuminating your conscience that you you'll actually know yeah And, and i think that's the big danger area because you'll often hear people say oh that's a mortal sin well actually it's it's a grave sin Mm. whether it is actually mortal only that person in the depths of their soul can know whether they actually understand and whether they consent to it. Mm. So in the first few centuries where to sin grave mortal sin would mean basically expulsion from the community, the Christian community. Mm. How was that defined? Was it merely apostasy? Was it apostasy and murder or was it absolutely anything that was classified as sin, including venial? It, it was particularly the big ones, you know, like so apostasy, murder, adultery, things like that, where it was a clear break with Christian morality and it was public 
and it, it damaged the whole community. And, and, and then likewise, the, the penance would sort of be fitting the crime in a sense. So mm. if, if you had done something which had actually seriously damaged the whole community, then your penance somehow had to make it up to the community. You know, oh. so they, they had a very strong sense of the public nature of, or, or the, the communal nature of sin. That mm. Whatever we do damages other people. Well, can we talk, talk about penance for a moment? My, again, my understanding is you get, you get given some penance from a priest when he absolves you, which, which doesn't make up, like doesn't pay for the sins you've done, but it, it's, it's more of an act of reparation for your sins as opposed to full payment, you know, because you can't. Mm. And it's a bit like that action speak louder than words to prove to yourself, probably more to prove to yourself that you're serious about it. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, that whole concept of penance needs to be sort of re-understood a little bit because a lot of people do think of it as being payment. Mm. I, I remember hearing a story some years ago of a, a woman who had confessed to having an abortion and the priest said, before your penance, say three Hail Marys. And she was really angry saying, is that all my child's worth? You know, like, you know, because she had this very fixed idea of this is my punishment. I deserve more than that. Mm. Whereas really the idea of penance is like a turning around. <laughs> like it's a... I deserve more than that. Yes, you do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, 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 Jesus has paid the rest. This is all you've got to look after. Mm. But whereas really it's this idea of like a healing. Often a priest will just give you a few Hail Marys to do, but to actually sort of have something which is going to help you come back to conversion, you know, like, like to have a particular scripture which is going to help you rediscover the truth or something so it's, like that. It's, so it's mercy and justice, but the justice a lot of the time isn't simply about the other people we've hurt, but sometimes it's restorative justice yeah. Even for who we are. Yeah. Because I mean, the, the, the biblical idea of justice is like coming back to the right ordering. So it's not just about punishment. It's about how do we heal the relationships? How do we bring it all back to the way it's meant to be? Yeah. So, so there is, there's always this idea of some sort of reparation. So say if, if you steal, the priest should be encouraging you to try and make some act of reparation to give back what, you t what you've stolen. Mm. If you've taken someone's good name, you know, if you've defamed them, then you've got to do some act of reparation. You've got to try and make up for, their, for the damage done to their name. But often it, our sin is like a damage to our own soul. And so it, it's actually something which is going to heal us and bring us back to God. Mm. Now, in studying for the priesthood... Like, walk, and, like and studying... walking to Jerusalem. Yeah. Sorry, that was a... Sorry, Sam. You... Back to you. Father, thanks, mate. Father Day, yeah, I don't deal as well with uh, interruptions. <laughs> Father Day, you're studying for the priesthood. Uh, I'm sure you had to do a lot of study around reconciliation, confession, penance. Mm. Who were the role models? Who do they? Are there any particular role models that they focus in on uh, as far as the saints? Saint John Vianney. Yeah, we 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 talked about a number of different saints. I remember when we were studying, like there, there are the saints of the confessional, you know, people like your John Vianney's, your Leopold Mundich, you know, people who just devoted their whole lives to hearing confessions. Saint uh, Padre Pio. Padre Pio. Yep. But then you've got a number of other saints who... But he, but pa Padre Pio would tell you what you needed to confess, wouldn't he, at times? A bit like what Sam did with you just earlier on. 
Yeah, but Padre Pio was moved by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I was moved by passion fruit. <laughs> but yeah, there were a number of other saints that we looked at who uh, had died because they refused to reveal what they'd heard in confession. Um, so mm. they're like the martyrs mm. of the confessional. Wow. And, and that's one which is becoming more uh, important these days as you know, more and more states pass laws demanding that priests break the seal of confession. And be excommunicated and cease being priests. Yes. Yeah. I actually heard, heard uh, an abuse survivor actually talk about, uh, this is only recently, pleading, saying, no, no, please don't break the seal as confessional. Mm. It's the only place I could go initially. And I knew that I could talk. And all of a sudden that's been taken away. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's an extraordinary thing, that seal. Yeah. So is it mainly, I mean, I'm aware of the World War II martyrs of the confessional have there been martyrs of the confessional outside of world war ii yeah i i'm struggling to remember names and details but yeah i, I think there were, around europe where the priests were often hearing confessions of royalty there was often a lot of pressure put on them to reveal mm. what they'd heard yeah because it was sort of seen to me that the priests were a little bit too powerful because they knew stuff that no one else knew so it was a good way to shut them down. Yeah. Can I ask about purgatory? So Good, good. I thought of that before, but it didn't feel like the right time. Now it does. Hey, Marty, you got a question? Yeah. Let me ask about purgatory. Purgatory, um, I think, is quite easily sort of described as the final sanctification of our souls. Mm. But, but there is pain in purgatory as you are purified. But my question is really about you go to reconciliation and you're forgiven. So if you're forgiven but you're not perfect, how how does that translate into pictorial purification and indulgences? Mm. Does that make sense? The, yeah. the punishment for sins, if the sin has been forgiven but the effects of the sin may remain, is it is that part of the puzzle? It's definitely a puzzle. If you ever could try and explain... Um... So obviously sin shapes our character. So if I'm, you know, if I, if I do something selfish and then I repeat that every day for a couple of years, I become mm. a selfish person. Like, like it actually shapes mm. my soul. Like it, it changes who I am. I can repent of that and God can forgive me of the sin. But in a sense, my soul is still kind of twisted in that particular angle, I suppose. Like I, yeah. I, I was trying to explain this to primary school kids recently about how we, it was when we were entering into Lent talking about how like if you roll up a bit of paper the paper actually kind of takes the form of that being rolled up and the only way to flatten it out is actually to roll it the opposite way and mm. it's by kind of going the opposite direction it then comes back to the, the flat shape the real shape and, and that, that whole idea of Lent and doing penance is very much about go in the opposite direction to where our sin has taken us. You know, so where I've been selfish, try and be charitable. Where I've been eating too much, try to do some fasting. Like it actually heals the deformity of our character. So we're meant to be doing that regularly in our spiritual journey. In terms of purgatory, I suppose, this is a particularly Catholic understanding of heaven that God is trying to shape us into his very likeness. So some of the Protestant reformers took a fairly simplistic view where they said, we're bad, like we're really bad. 
In fact, we're so bad that all that God can do is cover us over and just cover our badness. That sort of idea came along of, you know, the human being being like a big pile of dog poo covered by snow. It still stinks, but it looks <laughs> pure white. Whereas Catholics would say, actually, no, that's not what we believe. We believe that God actually transforms that big pile of poo into something glorious. Mm. And so the whole spiritual journey is about cooperating with the grace of God who wants to heal the ways that our character has been deformed. And, and anything which has not been done while we're here on earth, God makes sure that that still happens before we enter into full communion with him in heaven. Mm. Which enables full communion. Yes, you know, otherwise it would be partial communion. <laughs> if, 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 God, if God is love and we're meant to enter into the heart of the Trinity, we have to become love. So mm. anything in us that is not love, any selfishness, vanity, pride, all of that has to be stripped away. Mm. And, and basically our life on earth, like when, when we love, it's painful because that is our pride being stripped away. And, you know, John of the Cross would basically say the pain you experience when you try to love someone is actually like the pain of purgatory because mm. that is your pride and your selfishness being torn away from you. Mm. Mm. Sorry, Sam. I, I was just going to say that in Revelation, it says that uh, nothing impure shall enter the kingdom of heaven. So anything, yeah. anything impure is going to be stripped away. Yeah. There's uh, a line in, um, let me just check it quickly. I think it's in second Corinthians. Is, is this one about uh, will be tested through fire? Yes. And that's yeah, yeah. after death. Refined. 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 Yeah. Because it's either chapter four or chapter five. Yeah, he talks, it reminds me a lot of the story of the three little pigs because he basically says, some people, everyone builds. <laughs> what? Sorry, what's, what's the verse for three little pigs? <laughs> um, Paul's letter to the three little pigs. Because he says, look, everyone's built on the foundation of Christ, but everyone builds with something different. Some people build with straw, some people build with sticks, others build with bricks. <laughs> I'm sure this is where the story of the three little pigs came from. Yeah. But then he says, every building will be tested as by fire and anything that does not survive. Oh, I'm, I'm so scared. Oh, I got it. I found it. I found it. I found it. You found it? Here we go. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3. Okay. Verse 11 to 15. Good. Can I Here read go. it? Yeah, go for it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, each man's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work which any man has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Mm. It's pretty graphic, isn't it? Oh, it is. Nothing yeah. will be hidden. So didn't yeah. Pope Benedict suggest that that fire may be Christ himself? Yes. That encounter with Christ as burning all your impurities away, which doesn't sound particularly not painful. Yeah, I think it was, it was one of his writings before he became Pope. He talked about this idea that at the moment of death, we stand before Christ. And it's in that encounter of standing before complete love that everything in us that is not love kind of gets stripped away from us. Mm. So, yeah, it, often people have had these simplistic ideas of, you know, the fire of purgatory is actually the fire of hell kind of lapping up, catching your heels or something. And it sounds like a place of, you know, hopelessness. But no, it's I've even heard some people 
I don't know, sort of twisted sort of choose your own. This is heresy, really, isn't it? Choose your own <laughs> bits of doctrine that, no, there's no hell. It's only purgatory. They're really talking about the same thing. And that just seems completely contrary to what Jesus taught. Well, this was, there, was, there was a church in the United States, a Pentecostal church that in their back window, oh, I've told you this before, but they had Joseph Stalin, Pol Pot and Adolf Hitler in their in saying last window because they are in heaven too. Because Jesus died once for all, that's scriptural. Therefore, all go to heaven. There is no. So, wouldn't, wouldn't we say that it is it 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 is possible for someone to repent of their sins, doesn't matter how bad they are, and to choose Jesus right at the end? But you would think that, particularly those couple of examples of people and what they'd done habitually, really, really bad, mm. that that's probably unlikely. Well, I think it, it's it, absolutely everyone. Goes to I wouldn't, no, I wouldn't no call what them you saints. Do, uh, it, it does mean that we are assuming that a fair portion of what Jesus taught, he later did the opposite. As in, he said it, but it now doesn't matter. <laughs> he didn't really mean it, yeah. No. It's, it's interesting that the ancient Persian religion, Zoroastrianism, believed in a paradise, but they also believed in a hell. But they believed that everyone in hell would eventually be forgiven and accepted into paradise, including the devil. So I think when you've got people talking about this idea of, you know, even the devil will one day be redeemed, it's actually closer to Zoroastrianism rather than Catholicism. <laughs> I, I think it's actually just like a, a way of avoiding a really difficult doctrine. I think a lot of people have put that in there as a way of trying to defend God's mercy. But well, it's also you're also assuming that people want to be forgiven. Well, exactly. It, it, it forget, forgets the fact that we actually have a choice as to whether we want to be with I Jesus. forgive you. Stuff you. I don't want to be... Yeah. You know, it could yeah. be that blunt. Or, well, you can come to heaven. Yeah. I don't want to. Yeah. And, and it assumes a vision of heaven, which is just like some earthly paradise as opposed to a relationship. Yeah. Yeah, because if it's relationship, then your choice has a huge impact on that. Mm. You don't want to know Jesus here on earth. You're definitely not going to want to know him after your life on earth. Mm. And the, the flip side to what Marty was just talking about is... I've often heard people talk about purgatory not being a Christian belief because it's not in the Bible. The basic answer here is simply that the word purgatory isn't, but purgatory as a word describes what is in Scripture mm. yes. in, in multiple Purg places. In Purgatory comes from purgation, doesn't it? To cleanse. Yeah. Purge. That's the, to purge. That's the concept. Yeah. Don't get too hung up about the name. I think everyone would agree that when, when most people die, they're, they're not perfect and that there's something that Jesus has to do to you in order to make you perfect, to, to get you into heaven. And this final rush of purification, if you like, anyway, and that gets the name purgatory because you're being purged. Whether it takes time or whether it is in time or whether it happens some other, it doesn't really matter so much, but... Mm. If you love Jesus, but you're not perfect, he'll sort the rest out, but it'll probably hurt more than it does by becoming more perfect now. Mm. But like I was saying before, I think the, the difference between the Catholic and Protestant view of purgatory and therefore of salvation actually in a big way comes down to a difference of view of the human person. Protestant theology believes the human person can't actually be transformed. Mm. It can only be, you know, covered. just sort of covered over, forgiven. Whereas we're coming from an idea that sin didn't actually damage us completely and there is room for healing. Uh, whereas mm. Luther 
interpreted Augustine's teaching in a much more extreme way and said, we're so bad, we can't actually change. Yeah. So once, once you accept mm. the Catholic view of the possibility of that sort of salvation. We're so bad, everyone has sinned, but we can be redeemed. Yeah, God can heal anything. Like, like, and, he, and he's genuinely working to heal our souls, not just put up with them. Mm. A father who loves us just as we are, but too much to leave us as we are. Mm. I want to go back to indulgences briefly because... What do you mean go back to? You didn't even go to it. Well, I, me- I, mentioned, I mentioned it earlier. <laughs> yeah, we got to be talking indulgences. <laughs> and indulgences get a lot of flack these days because it's often in textbooks and stuff says, you know, that the Reformation was... The Medici family to, made a mint. Yeah. yeah. And indulgences are real, but you can't. You can no longer make donations to the church or something or to the Medicis, which you probably couldn't really anyway in the first place. But but indulgences are real, and but that's different to forgiveness. That's that's making up for the 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 pain of purification. So. The Old Testament, there's, there's a number of spots where it talks about the, the three ways of seeking forgiveness of, of God, which is prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. Yeah. Well, once again, that idea that actions speak more powerfully than words, you know. So I, I can verbally ask God's forgiveness or I can really try and start to turn my life around. And that, that is also then carried very strongly through the early church fathers. They, they really understood this idea that you could seek forgiveness by giving money to the poor. It's, it's not that you're trying to purchase forgiveness. It's that you're actually, you know, turning your life around. You're like, instead of keeping this to myself, I'm trying to give it to other people. I'm, I'm caring for their needs. Just like Zacchaeus. Exactly. Yeah. realised that he ripped people off and he said he'd give all the, all the money back. Exactly. Yeah. So the idea of indulgences, we probably haven't got time to go into a full history of it all, but coming from that idea of the early church where the penance for sin was quite extreme so you would have to do some public penance for four months you know or if you were the general in an army and you just committed genocide you'd have to go to walk to rome but you can't do that because you've got an army to run and so it was almost this idea of okay i can't do that penance can i trade it for something else so instead of that can i give money to this work of charity and so that was kind of the origin of it it was like a a way of working out, okay, what's a, what's a different way that I can make the same response? And so it came from a very valid understanding of how we actually act out that change of heart. Around the time of the Reformation, when you know, Luther saw what was going on in Rome, it, it was being abused. Hmm. But it wasn't necessarily that the actual idea was bad. It was just that the people were abusing it. Hmm. So we still have indulgences. You know, and yeah. these days... Divine Mercy Sunday. Yeah. And if you go back to that idea I used of the piece of paper trying to bend it the opposite direction, they, they all come from that same idea. It's like, how do I turn back to God? Mm. And it's me making that little baby step towards him and just saying, okay, I want you to now do the rest. You know, mm. so most of these indulgences are through an act of prayer. Yeah. So praying the rosary in front of the Blessed Sacrament. Plenary indulgence. Praying the rosary um, in your family. Plenary indulgence. Yeah, say the rosary in your family. Yeah. Brilliant. (laughs) Yeah. And if you've ever tried to pray the rosary with little kids, I'm sure that is enough penance of itself. (laughs) Yes, it is. (laughs) (laughs) But the the concept is that indulge you know, an an indulgence, a plenary indulgence 
I don't know. How do, how do you describe it? Relieves you of the... The temporal punishment due to sin, I think is the technical phrase. Right. Yep. But that means, like a plenary indulgence means you go straight through purgatory really quickly. Yeah, yeah. God. No, I had, actually, I had another question on that because often when you read about indulgences, says this could be applied to you or someone else or someone in purgatory. Yes. How does it get allocated? Do you are you do you are you the, the allocator? Allocate, are you the allocator, or do you give it to Jesus and He allocates it, or how do you you know? <laughs> Is there like a big bureaucratic system in purgatory, like <laughs> you know, farming out requests? Number five hundred and sixty-two. <laughs> yes, that's my question. <laughs> I, I think, I don't, don't quote me on this, I, I think you can offer it for a particular person. I, I'm not quite sure how the uh, heavenly bureaucracy works, but yeah. That is good news. Mm. <laughs> right, at a practical level, someone <laughs> hasn't been to reconciliation for quite a while and they think, maybe I should. And we'd say, yeah. yes. Yes, you should. Yes, you should. <laughs> You're missing out. And I'd, I'd, I'd also say if, if you're struggling in believing your faith, go back to confession. Mm. Because very often when we are assailed by doubts, it's actually that there's some habit of sin which is just kind of blocking us. I was reading, um, you, you remember Mike Willisey, the old TV presenter? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I was reading his biography the, the other day. Miracle. Yeah, his, his book, The Skeptic's Search for Meaning. Really good book, you should read it. But he, he talks about how he was ba- he was kind of still sceptical. And this priest basically was saying, like, your office hasn't been blessed. I'm going to go bless your office for you. And so he's like, okay, let's go upstairs and you can bless my office. And as they went up, this priest basically just said, okay, we're going to start confession now. And he's like, what? Hang on. And he's like, tell me your sins. And he virtually sort of pinned him and just said, okay, we're doing confession. And he really had no preparation confessed his sins, but he said that was the turning point for him coming back to his faith because it was like his fear of confession was the thing holding his uh, skepticism. As soon as he'd done that, it was like the doors are open and he was able to believe. Mm. It's amazing really, isn't it? Do you think about we doubt that we are loved, but we'll term every other excuse before it Mm. instead of actually saying that. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Okay, So so... Marty? No, I think you were going where I was going. So. Do I answer your uh, question before you've even said it? Yes. <laughs> yes I, I, think, I think if you've been away from confession for a long time, go back. Like, like, like find a priest who you feel comfortable with. I would even suggest catch up with them at a time separate to the normal confession time because there can be that whole fear of, you know, there's 10 other people queuing up outside. Am I going to take too long? And don't be afraid because most priests are going to be so open to, you know, if, if you ask to catch up, they'll, you know, clear their calendar to try and make that possible. And I think if you go to a church where there is regular confession, you haven't been for a while, don't be afraid to walk in and say, uh, sorry, Father, I haven't been for a while. I don't mm. remember quite what to do. Yeah, he'll walk you through that. Mm. Yeah. And, and as a priest, that is the most beautiful thing. When someone comes in and says... I haven't been to confession for 30 years. Like that, that, that's what the priest is there for. That's what he, what he got ordained for. So yeah. he's not going to be angry. He's going to be thinking, okay, I just want to help you through this. So, in, but in, in preparation for that, it's a good idea to spend some time just thinking about what is, you know, the, the worst or the biggest things on your heart 
and asking the Holy Spirit to reveal that to you? It's better to go to confession like Father Dave does to Sons of Thunder rather than how Marty and I do. Prepared? Yeah. <laughs> the, the only other thing I want to say is if you haven't been to confession for a while or, or a long time, you, you have full sort of rights to be excited about what happens at absolution and, and leaving the confessional free. Oh, yeah. It, it, it's called the celebration of the sacrament because it's meant to be a celebration. So Jesus talks about that when he talks about the lost the lost sheep and the, you know, going and getting one and, and, and mm. bringing leaving back. Leaving the 99. Leaving the 99. And, and there's another, I can't remember where you probably know, where he talks about the the angels repent over one, you know, one sin. The angels rejoice. Angels, angels rejoice. rejoice. That's what he's, he's talking about, confession. He's talking about... Oh, yeah. He's talking about heaven, the, the angelic court in heaven, all the angels and saints rejoicing because one person, you, you know, have come to confession and been re-reconciled with, with Jesus. Yeah, yeah. The angels say your name to God the Father when that happens. It's amazing. You walk out of the church and it's quiet and sombre, reflective. The reality being that in the realms of Cold. heaven, there's, there's a, well, yeah, there is, here is at the moment it is. Uh, but the, the reality being that at that moment, there is a thunderous cheer in heaven. Mm. Mm. But you're right, just, it's, that, it's that celebration, it's joyful. I, I've just got that mental image of all the angels standing outside the confession with party poppers and, And the big free. balloons with your name on it. <laughs> yeah. Welcome back. <laughs> right. Uh, well, let's say a Mar prayer. Marty, would you like to close us in prayer? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, Jesus, I'd like to thank you for your gift to us in the sacrament of reconciliation or penance or whatever, whatever you want to call it. Um, I want to thank you that you make this available to us and that you reconcile us to yourself and to God the Father. And I'd like to pray for all the people um, that might be listening to this who, who have not been to confession for a while and I'd like to ask that you'll pour out your Holy Spirit on them and open their eyes and their heart to the reality um, of your forgiveness which is awaiting them. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord, we just pray you pray your blessing upon us and all those listening, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Our Lady Queen of Angels. Pray for us. Pray for us. Our Lady Queen of Sorrows. Pray, pray for, for us. us. See, see, oh, I might see if we can find any um, party popper sounds. <laughs> Those um, whistleblower things they use. Yes. Or you can get a carnivale sound. You haven't stopped. Yeah. 
You haven't stopped eating this whole episode. <laughs> no, I haven't. I've had the passion fruit. I've had a Turkish bread with, um, but the Turkish bread had herb and chili. It was really nice. And this is a, um, I'm not gluten free, but this cake is. <laughs> it's obviously not a Wednesday fasting day for you. Uh, no.